Welcome to our podcast. I'm David Kramer coming to you from Northern California. And I'm Dave Blasco from Arizona. Dave and I have been friends since the early 1980s when we were college roommates. And we have finally found a medium to share our wisdom with the world or at least our opinions. Between us, we have two engineering degrees, two master's degrees, an economics degree, and over six years of work experience. And we're making this podcast together to try to help each other and hopefully you, the listener, save money. Well, uh, we have a special guest today. All our guests are special, of course, because we're not that popular. Um, Tez Milan is joining us. Uh, Tez is a marketing director and copywriter for a living, um, but she is also an accomplished singer. Uh, I think her biggest gig, of course, was singing at my wedding when she was, <laughs> I think, 11 years old. It was, uh, brought the house down. Pretty important event. Welcome, Tez. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the really warm introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so what we were going to talk about today is since uh, Tez for a living is a marketer that tries to entice people to give up their money, we thought we'd talk about some of the ways they do that and how we can defend ourselves from it. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's another portion of the really warm intro, <laughs> but it's kind of true. You know, it's it's funny as I was kind of putting together some notes for our talk today. Um, I have at the very top of my my word doc um, marketing skeptic, um, and that's definitely going to be an interesting perspective and direction that I'm going to take our conversation into. Just because you know I have done marketing, I guess pretty much all of my career. Even though as a performing artist, you don't think of performing artists as marketers, but Essentially, at the end of the day, we're trying to get people to feel a certain way and think a certain way and to influence them to move in a certain direction, to take a, an action, whether it to be to sit there and to applaud or um, to read a piece of text online and then decide, okay, yes, I want to buy that and then click the, the buy button. Um, and so I, I've had, I don't know, how, how long have I been seeing it since I guess you said since I was 11. So I've got almost 30 years of of experience doing this, trying to get people to do stuff, <laughs> you know, and uh, to influence them in my own in, a, in my own little way, and uh, and it it really works if you know how to push the right buttons and and you know say the right things and sound a certain way or look a certain way, which in marketing we call branding. Um, then you can really get people to do a lot of things, and that's especially to give up their money for either concert tickets or for buying stuff or you know whatever it is that you want them to do. So. And Dave said, you know, it, really good things can come from that marketing because um, you want to get people to do things. And sometimes you have to convince them of the need to do it. And I think mm -hmm. from our perspective, what could we do to make sure we understand how people are trying to influence maybe that may not be always a, above board just to, to recognize those types of things that folks are trying to do to gain your um, agreement to do something, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I appreciate that you use the word need because um, that's kind of where I wanted to start is that um, there's this, uh, there's a lot of psychologists behind or psychology behind marketing and behind performing arts and getting people to do stuff and influence. Um, and um, the one place I wanted to start with was Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And basically what that says is that if we've got all of our basic needs taken care of, you know, things like, you know, we've got food, we've got shelter, um, we've got a warm place to stay and we're feeling comfortable about ourselves, then um, we're most focused on um, belonging, um, getting attention, feeling like, um, you know, we're getting our ego stroked or whatever it is. It's like that, that's the point where we become 
then vulnerable to a lot of these messages that are coming in towards us. Um, and I guess that's the best way to kind of, uh, I don't want to say protect yourself because it's not like marketers are out to get you, <laughs> but, uh, but I, in a way to protect yourself or to kind of just have the knowledge of what's really going on um, behind all of these really nice messages and, and these nice things that we're seeing, um, whether it be online or in a magazine or on TV or, or whatnot, um, that once you feel that you're like, okay, everything is good to go and I'm, I'm feeling good about myself, now it's just, okay, how can I get this attention? That's when somebody like a marketer or as we call them today, influencers can step in and say, hey, take a look at this. I look like you. I may be somebody that you might want to attain to or achieve to be. And this is what I do to do that. This is what I buy to do that. This is what I look like to do that. And so that's when we start to pay attention to these sorts of messages when we're like, oh, I'm not that. I feel good about myself, but I could feel even better. And so what is this person doing that uh, that I could start doing that would then enable me to if I do, if I buy this thing that they have, or if I do this certain thing that they do, then that'll get me to that next place of, of feeling good and fulfilling that need of having that attention. As a professional, that puts a little bit of pressure on you. I mean, when you are working for yourself and trying to get people to listen to your music, that's, I want to say inherently a, a good thing, at least, uh, uh, but when you're working for other people, now you have the pressure of making sure you pick a client who is ethical and has a, a product that you're you're not ashamed to be selling. Yes. Um, and that, <laughs> the ethics behind marketing is, is really a gray area. And I, again, this is where my skepticism comes in. It's not like, I mean, obviously there is a lot of good out there. I mean, there's wonderful music that changes people's lives. There are products out there that really, truly do help people. But I think it's when we get to that point of excess, which is, kind of uh, the, uh, it's something that we see a lot of today. Um, I remember back in the 80s, there was this sort of like influx of like popular culture where it's like all about excess. And then the 90s, we kind of like, we drew back and we got into like this dark, like kind of grungy era of music. And then the 2000s hit and then we had all this like stock market stuff that happened. Everybody was really pulling back. But ever since we started to recover from the 2008 recession, it's like, Every it's like ten years later, you know. I it, there's a lot of people that are like, wow, we're we're almost back to, if not exceeded, where we were back in, oh oh five, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, where we got into a lot of trouble. And granted, you know, right now the market's at a, a high, and, and you know things are going really well. But it's just um, like what the two of you are trying to do. It's just like, okay, well, let's at least be aware of, of what's really going on here. Um, and so, just to have the knowledge that you know we we really should take care of the the decisions that we make to just continue to buy and buy and buy, um, which is totally possible with the way that, you know, our, our financial structure is with having credit cards and, and what it is that we're teaching, especially the younger generation um, who are, I think, if anything, the most susceptible to, to these influencers. Um, and the influencers are coming in from all over the place. I mean, back in the day, influencers were more like people that we saw on TV and that felt so unattainable. And stardom was this sort of like, wow, is that ever possible for me? And nowadays with the internet and online you know, marketing and social media especially, and the access to information that we have and the access to these, these celebrities, um, we are really susceptible to what it is that they tell us and what it is that they say that we should or could be doing 
um, to to feel more like how they feel. And what we see is that they feel awesome all the time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so um, I think if anything, that's in a way the angle and the message that I really wanted to share with you to today, especially, you know, as fathers and, you know, I've had the the privilege of being a bonus mom and hanging out with my friends' kids. I don't have my own kids, but I do. I'm around a lot of children just because of my my friends and and their families. And I really do see how these younger people are so smart. They're so intelligent. They know things that I never knew when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. But in a way, also their buying decisions are just so influenced by the fact that they have so much information and the things that they're wanting today. Are, it's insane the things that they want. <laughs> Because I remember being like, oh, I just want a Barbie doll. And I'm like 14. No, I wasn't that old. But like, you know, I was older and I wanted these things that I was like, wow, I hope one day I get to travel to wherever. And then I listened to a friend's daughter who's like 11. And she's like, I want to go to Bora Bora next summer. (laughs) And I'm like, that was like a pipe dream for me when I was like, you know, 20. (laughs) And now they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we can just throw that on a credit card or I can become an influencer and have somebody else pay for it. I mean, it's just like. It's really, it's really incredible, and, and I think to be aware of that, especially as a parent, and to try to instill these sort of like, hey, kids, yes, it's awesome that you can have this and that I want you to be able to work for this and attain this, but just be careful that it doesn't become something that is like, I need this, and then I need that, and I need that, and what am I willing to do to, to make that happen? The challenges with, uh, with teenagers in particular is things like shoes and brand name clothing uh if they feel like they are excluded from the tribe it goes right to your lizard brain where you're the lame uh lame cow that is going to get eaten by the wolf so you it's it's a frightening feeling that you're going to be excluded and never get back in and so it's these when when a kid is crying because they want uh $200 sneakers it's a real feeling doesn't mean we have to buy them but it's real to them yeah, I was I was interested um, in that particular uh, aspect. I don't know a lot about marketing, Tez, so I uh, looked up some information from the uh, author, uh, professor you sent me, Dave Cr- Dave Kramer, uh, Robert uh, Cialdini, and I was looking at his six um, principles, and one of them was consensus, and I see this from my kids where the kids will say, hey, all the other parents are buying their kids new iPhones at 11 years old. <laughs> I should get one at 11 as well. So I think parents just need... I. The takeaway I had was you just need to be aware that people will use that maybe consensus kind of thought process to say, I should have this too, mom and dad. Absolutely. Um, I have another funny example is um, because of these, you know, these kids and I'm like always interested to see, okay, what's, you know, what's trending? What's happening with you? You know, what are you listening to today? Especially, you know, from a music perspective. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, um, <laughs> the same beautiful 12-year-old, um, who I have so much respect for because she's just so ahead of her times, <laughs> but, um, you know, the one who was like, oh, I want to go to Bora Bora, she also was like, yeah, you know, I really love these Balenciagas. And I was like, wait a minute, I remember hearing about Balenciaga, like, like discovering this brand like two years ago. And she's like, yeah, I love these really interesting looking shoes that they have. And, and, and she like showed me a picture of them and I'm like, oh, that's really bizarre. And then a couple days later, I'm listening to Cardi B, which is another <laughs> artist that she recommended to me. And she has on one of her hit songs, which is called uh, I Like It, I, th- is th- I think is the name of the song. In the very first verse, she has, I like the Lenciagas, the one that looked like socks. And I was like, 
oh, that's where it came from. That's how she figured out what a Balenciaga was. And I mean, these Balenciagas are not, I mean, you talked about $200 shoes. I mean, Balenciagas are like $1,000 shoes, you know? And they're thinking that this is totally normal because they see like all of these people telling them, oh yeah, Gucci's a thing and Balenciaga's a thing and, you know, going to Bora Bora is a thing, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like there's no scale of, well, okay, wait a minute, this is, this is really expensive and not, you know, what most kids or not most people are buying for themselves. And, and yet there's this whole like construct of this is a total normal thing to want all of these luxury goods. Or not, or not, or not only even it's not normal to want them, but I get the sense, I totally agree with you, Tez, this consensus thought process that it's normal to have it. Like everybody has this stuff and it's just totally um, out of the realm of what most normal people could, uh, say, afford, right? Yeah, unless you have like 20 credit cards. And that's where we get into trouble. And I think that's the reason why this conversation is so important is not just not just the idea of, you know, it's not like I want to shame people for wanting things. I think, you know, I, I want lots of things and I think it's great to want things, but and to, but I think there's also the work ethic that comes behind that. And then this is where I get kind of old, old fashioned, I guess, but, you know, compared to what most people think of, you know, in terms of attaining things nowadays, it's like, no, you really, it, you have to be very conscious about your, your purchases and then be conscious about what it is you're willing to do to get those. And, well, the, uh, and also to understand yeah. that uh, social media, people are posting pictures of their best shoes yeah. not their everyday shoes and because you can take such a stream of uh, information at one time where you're looking at 200 different people's shoes that's not really normal yeah. it's uh, the the uh, we used to call keeping up with the joneses back in the day right and now it's so easy to see what other folks have because you can post it on social media and i think it gives kids a very warped perspective about what is normal and I certainly see that with my kids to some extent one of my kids probably more so than others in terms of what do real people do and what do they have to do to say attain that there's this inconsistency between what they think is I think a normal situation and what really is normal yeah um there's there's all kinds of principles you know from from Cialdini's um uh, theorem that you're talking about that play into this. You know, we've so far talked about the the consensus and and wanting to belong, but then there's also, you know, the similarity, wanting to be like others that they, you know, that they uh, uh, that they associate themselves with, even though they may not have the millions of dollars that like a, a Kendall Jenner or, you know, some of these other influencers have. They still feel like, oh, but she's so normal because like then she'll go live on on Instagram or live on. On Facebook, and then she's like, you know, walking around with her Starbucks cup, and like, seeming like, oh yeah, I just, you know, I woke up like this, <laughs> you know. But but you don't know, like we don't know, like you said, what what their ugly shoes look like, or what their morning look like. Did they wake up and feel not so great, and then they put on their makeup, and then they they you know were suddenly on on live, and people are watching that. Um, there's the scarcity part, um, also that's a part of that theorem. Uh, you know, where it's like, oh, if I don't have that, then I need to get it. Or, um, you know, the consistency, which is like seeing these people every day on social, you know, what, what are they posting and, and just getting sort of that, um, that, uh, you know, reassurance of, okay, this person is always there for me, whenever I need to reach out to them, I just go onto their profile, and I feel like I'm a part of their lives. Um, the, the biggest example that I wanted to share, which I feel is the really hits home to what this is, is um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see on Netflix that Fry Festival documentary, or if you've 
kept track of that. I've heard about it. I've not seen. It. I've heard some. I've. I think my son has watched part of it, and he said he recommended watching it. Yeah, it's a it's a mind trip. I mean, that if anything, I think is the. I mean, if we want to get super skeptical and go to the dark side of marketing, I mean, I think that that is really the the biggest example of how marketing can really influence people to give up a lot of money just for the sake of all of these, you know, all of um, Cialdini's principles, you know, wanting to belong, the consistency, the idea, because basically what happened is that this guy, um, I'm totally blanking on what his name is, but the guy who like runs the, the organization, the Fry organization or the Fry Festival organization, um, he partnered with a rapper and then had all of these social media influencers. Kendall Jenner is actually one of them. Um, and uh, to basically just post online this this idea of what this festival could be without any of the infrastructure or anything in place to actually make that festival happen. And they sold hundreds of thousands of dollars of tickets to this basically bogus event <laughs> that was great on paper and great on social and great online. But then once people actually started to physically fly themselves out to, um, I think it was in the Exumas is where this thing actually ended up being. It was like on another island and then they got booted off that island because they couldn't even get like toilets on the island. And then they had to like scramble the last like couple of months to find the right place to have this thing. And I mean, it was just a disaster and actually a really, and if you get a chance to see the documentary, you'll see actually how dangerous this ended up becoming because there was no electricity, there was no water. And, but the thing is that they built this up in terms of their marketing as this like epic event where you would stay in the lap of, you know, enjoy the lap of luxury and hang out with the stars and, you know, get to have caviar with, you know, the, the musicians that just walk off stage and are hugging you, you know, as you, as you walk past them and you, as you get to you go to your next appointment for a massage or whatever. I mean, it's, it is a trip. It so there's really actually, there's two documentaries out, one by Netflix and one by Hulu. I, I haven't watched either yet, but um, not to get too meta, but the one on Netflix was produced by the people who produce the festival. So they're double dipping with their scam there. Right. So I'd recommend if you're going to watch one, watch the one on Hulu. So screw those guys. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, that even though, yes, they're double dipping. And I mean, you would think that they would try to create. I mean, they really did lift the veil on kind of what happened. To, to whatever extent that they felt that they could do that and still, you know, save face. But um, it's it's really, I mean, if you really think about what it is that they did, it's really disturbing. And it's interesting to see how even now they're coming after some of these social media influencers who help support this event. Um, I think Kendall Jenner has been given, you know, she's she's having to go to court or something is happening right now with, with those influencers. Um, so there is, you know, it's it's good to know that there are repercussions for what's happening in terms of, what they call black hat marketing. Um, but you know, it's still, it's, it's kind of free for all, especially with the, you know, with the internet and access to information and access to these types of messages. So like Tez, I mean, these, uh, we talk about these principles, these are all important things and for marketing things that are totally above board. Would you say when you talk about that festival, you talked a little bit about uh, scarcity. So you're trying to get in people's minds that there's only going to be a set amount of people who go to this island to see this concert. Mm -hmm. What you, if you're worried about maybe being marketed in a negative way, um, what should you be worried about in terms of someone trying to make the scarcity argument with you? Um, I think, well, that's, that's an interesting question because though 
those is in my perspective are two different directions that you can take with marketing. There's the marketing that makes you feel ultra good about yourself where it's like, you deserve this, you're the best. There's actually, um, L'Oreal had this uh, slogan a while back called, you're worth it. You know, and it's like, yes, I am, I am this. And that's, that's sort of more the positive, um, uplifting side to marketing, which is sort of the way that we're trending nowadays in terms of marketing. A lot of the messaging that I'm working on with clients tends to go in that direction. Um, but what you're referring to is more of this scarcity, this sort of lack, this, hey, if you don't have this, you're really not, you really need to get with the program. It's sort of that direction. And it's very, I think nowadays it's more subtle than it used to be. Um, like I would say that back in the day, if you were to get, for example, you know, back in the day when we still got like snail mail and, and letters in the mail and we, you know, we, we got all this marketing material in the mail, um, they, they called those long sales letters. And we kind of still have that online nowadays. It's called um, long I think they call it long sales landing pages. And basically these landing pages, you just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And it basically walks you through a story of what it is that you're missing, what the problem is that you have, and then the solution that they can provide for you. So, uh, you know, it's not like a lot of marketing material will, will point the finger at you and go, you really are lacking and you need this. But it's more of like, hey, do you want to have that raise, you know, next quarter and you're feeling like, Everybody around you is, you know, getting ahead and you're not. And, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, I talked a lot about uh, the, you know, younger buyers and, and, you know, the Z gen and millennials. But I think also for the, you know, X gen and baby boomers, we are totally susceptible to this too. And I see this more in sort of the self-help realm, <laughs> you know, and we have all of these gurus who are like, hawking their, you know, their, their development programs and their, their books and all of this. And, and again, you know, like music, there's so much good to be had from it and so much positivity to be had. And I think that a lot of people are helped in this to be more productive and to, to get ahead in their careers. But, you know, um, I know a lot of people who they bought, they spend thousands and thousands of dollars on all of these different programs where it's like, okay, I know that you already have gone through a similar program and they're like, no, but I need this because, I don't have that promotion yet, or I don't, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very subtle, uh, it's very subtle. And you just have to be aware that if you're feeling like there's something that you're really needing and that you're lacking, it's like, you really have to ask yourself if you're truly <laughs> lacking that thing. I mean, it really goes back to being a teenager again, going, do I need that 15th pair of shoes, <laughs> you know, or do I really already have the, you know, everything that I need to, to get ahead and I just need to apply myself as opposed to buying the next program or the next book yeah i don't know if you've had any friends dave that were ever involved in uh the forum or s any of those warner Earhart things but boy those guys were good at selling those uh seminars that are very expensive yeah i've not had any personal ex experience with those but i can see where that would once you've kind of bought into it mentally where it it would really capture your attention and make it seem like it's something that you would want to do for sure. I guess, I guess my takeaway here, here is just, we've talked about some of those principles is just be aware that they exist. Um, and so when you're thinking about something in the context, just be aware of how people market things to you and think about the techniques they're using and ask yourself whether you really need something or not. I, I have a joke and I might pick this up from hearing from somebody else, but I always say the want sometimes is, is better than the have. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's uh, what Winnie the Pooh said, right? It's not the it's not the honey. It's the moment right before you get to taste the delicious honey. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, if I may offer just one other piece of advice, um, you know, to to educate yourself as you're making these buying decisions, I th I really do think that there is something with reviews. Um, I had a couple of clients that were very much about making sure that their reviews with their customers um, were on par. You know, that they're always trying to do their best to get five star reviews, and if they didn't, that they then responded online. If somebody was like complaining about something, then and of course they responded and said, okay, well, let's take care of this. Let's take care of you. But I think that reviews are sort of the the one way you can really see what's going on with a product or a service. Um, I definitely do do a lot of research to see what other people are saying. And I always go, <laughs> the skeptic in me, of course, is always going straight to those one-star, two-star reviews because then at least I know what people are unhappy about. Um, because even, and I'll, I'll say this again, that even even in those reviews, you'll sometimes get some some or some companies that will hire people or you know, they'll, they'll quietly give them something in exchange for a positive review or they're always asking for positive reviews. And, and, uh, but if anything, just take a look at what people are saying and then kind of make your own decision as to what's important to you. And if you align with what somebody says is not kosher with a product that, or service that they use and go, okay, is that something that I would be willing to put up with or not? Um, but I think that that's sort of a way to also educate yourself on whether something is legitimate or not. That's a, a excellent suggestion. Uh, I use a thing called Fake Spot on Amazon. That uh, it, it's uh, I guess it's an app or an extension, but it uh, it combs through all the reviews to look for repeated words, etc. Uh, mm -hmm. To see and and tries to pull out the uh, the, the Click Farm uh, reviews that you can buy from Asia. Um, I, I've, it saved me from buying a couple of really inexpensive knockoffs of things. Hmm. That's that's interesting. A good good tip for folks out there to read those reviews carefully. Well, I don't, this is a really interesting conversation, but um, we try and keep these things to uh, commute length. Um, yeah. And I assume you're going to stay in the creative marketing industry for a while. We can have you back on for another <laughs> deep dive on one of these things. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I obviously I'm in this industry for a reason because I do believe in the more positive side of things. And I, I, you know, I try to do my best to navigate away from those clients who are trying to do more of the black hat marketing stuff. Um, obviously, I avoid them at all costs. But, um, you know, there's I always question sometimes even what I what I end up writing, you know, like, is it really is do you really deserve <laughs> to have this? You know, <laughs> if I use the word deserve, I'm like, really? <laughs> Do I have to use that word? But, you know, there's certain keywords that I know that I use to kind of bump up the the idea of something being positive or negative. So, you know, I just, I want people to be aware and to be more educated to make their decisions and to make them wisely. So, Tez, mm -hmm. um, well, let's wrap it up with uh, you actually marketing yourself. So you're... Okay. Uh, uh, can you give us a plug for your own services? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a marketing director and a copywriter. Um, I just recently moved to New York City. So I'm based out of there, but work you know remotely for a lot of different clients on both East and West Coast. Um, my website is either going to be on your on your website, but it's uh, www.tezmalon.com. Um, and if you want to, you know, just check that out and see kind of what it is that I'm about that I'm more than happy, you know, and I, I obviously I love these conversations. So even if you've got a question and you're not necessarily looking to engage my services, I'm always happy to kind of at least 
let you know what it is that I'm seeing from a, cons a consulting point of view, um, and just give you, you know, you being, or you know, give a, a client any sort of advice um, or a company owner advice on what it is that they could be doing and what they could look out for and which direction they can go with their marketing. I'm more than happy to do that. And uh, Tez is spelled T-E-S-Z, and mm -hmm. Milan has two L's, M-I-L-L-A-N. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, final question. Yeah, no problem. Um, one final question before we yeah. leave. I'm a big fan of podcasts. That's oh, one yeah. reason why I do this. Do you mm -hmm. have one you could recommend? You know, actually I do. Um, it's one that's called The Good, The Bad, and The Buggy. It actually has nothing to do with marketing. <laughs> uh, what I really love about it is that it's um, hosted by these two young women. Um, her, their names are Bria Grangard and Alex McPeak. And they work for um, uh, a software development company called um, Smart Bear, based out of Massachusetts. Um, and what I just, what I really like about it is that they're just so, you know, I, I live in a world as a marketer and as a performing artist in a very kind of soft sell, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of world. And what they do is they really break down the user experience online. So they basically take, you know, um, these great products that are online and and talk about the nuts and bolts, but in a very engaging and interesting way. Um, and I just like the fact that there are these young women who are, uh, you know, really in, engaged in the technology space, um, and they are doing a lot to influence a lot of younger women to go into this industry, which is, you know, at the time being predominantly, um, you know, led by, by men, which is also a wonderful thing. But, you know, just to see these young women that are kind of forging ahead and saying, you know, we've also got a, a space and we've got an opinion about how these things are working for you know the world at large and um, it's just really they're a lot of fun to listen to so the the good the bad and the buggy that's the one that I recommend well thank you Tess uh, we really appreciate your time uh, great conversation thanks for having thanks, me thanks Tess very welcome